Okay, welcome to the fourth installment of Starfleet Boy, in which we will have a casual and informal discussion about the last outpost or episode four of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm joined once again by the fabulous Goldu Scott. Good afternoon. How are you doing over there? Good afternoon. Good. It's a, you know, it's spring on Earth. We're celebrating spring. Spring is in full effect here and everyone's wearing their springtime garb. As you can see, I just came from the south of France. I was visiting the uh, Chateau Picard where I picked up a glass of Chateau Picard and brought it home. So here we I go. I thought Chateau Picard burned down. Oh, sorry. Is that, are we going to get to that later? No, that's okay. I mean, again, remember, there's no, like, um, this is a spoiler-heavy series, guys. So if you this haven't... This takes place outside of time, outside of the timeline. We are... This, we actually are in the Q continuum. There you go. <laughs> that one got trippy. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, happy Zephyrim Cochrane Day to you over there. But to answer your question, Goldie Scott, yes, the, there was a tragedy that occurred, uh where the Chateau Picard did burn down. However, um, since it was such a popular uh, winery, the, uh, the uh, villagers got together and Starfleet, of course, gave a little, a little something something here as well. And we've uh, since reestablished Chateau Picard in, in a trust. It's now the Picard Trust. Um, since there are no more Picards to take over and run the Chateau, we, we assume Jean-Luc will run it when he retires, but... I wouldn't assume that. John Luke, you know, he never showed any interest in that old place. He I, couldn't I, need to get away and travel the stars. <laughs> good, good knowing your captains. Yeah. Well, who knows? One day, maybe, you know, maybe he'll handpick a, someone to run it. But in the meantime, Chateau Picard is back up and running, and, and you know, it's a wonderful, full-bodied offering and I'm, I'm happy to be drinking it. I look forward to visiting someday. So we're going to talk about the last outpost. Um, a very interesting episode. Uh, shall I go into the little, you know, setup here? Or yeah, well, I guess the big, talk about right away. like if you were going to have a headline of the episode, the important thing from it, it's the first appearance of the Ferengi. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know really how we got word on the street back then because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't, uh, all this stuff we have today, but somehow the, the word on the street was that the Ferengi were, were going to be the new main villain of this series and that they were going to like be the next generation version of the Klingons or the Romulans or something like that. Uh, so that was the hype, uh, kind of going into this episode, if I remember correctly, is that, is that how you recall? Yeah, and so just to kind of fill in that word on the street, mostly it came from uh, publications like Starlog. Starlog magazine was a very popular one. I don't know if you ever read that one. No, no, I, I don't read. Yeah. <laughs> I know that to be untrue, but I'll, we'll take you at your word, Gold Scott. <laughs> um, so Starlog was a publication that kind of did that. And, um, you know, I think something interesting that you just brought up is you know, in the days before the internet, um, the internet was actually around for some of us. Uh, some of us were on the internet in 1990. 
This is oh, my no, no, this is the eighties. You're right. This is October nineteenth, nineteen eighty seven. I don't think last seven years. You're right. Eighty seven. Watching Twenty One Jump Street. Crazy old show. Nineteen eighty seven. It was. It was through conventions, through through chess club meetings, through through Entertainment Tonight. Maybe did Entertainment Tonight do cover Entertainment Tonight did cover Star Trek: The Next Generation. So I would say that that might have been a... But I don't know if they started covering it till later, but I, you're right, 80, 89 would have been an interesting way. But yeah, I think Starlog was probably one of the, the main ways that us Trekkies kind of got our information, behind-the-scenes information. Uh, yeah, back. you got it on the, on the playground. Mm-hmm. The mean playground oh. of Miami. <laughs> the playground of Miami. Yeah, it was playground talk. And actually, that's not un- untrue. I was... Uh, I was I remember many a time uh, sitting with a group of friends where uh, we would lay our backpacks out as if they were the uh, consoles and then someone would sit behind us and we would do like uh, Kobayashi Maru scenarios on the, <laughs> at the playground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's cute. Tip- we didn't take it that far. I kind of wish I was your friend back then. Well... My playground experience would have been a lot more exciting, I think. <laughs> You're my friend now, so that's all that counts. <laughs> we're still we're ha- we're having a new kind of playground experience, but uh, but you're absolutely right. The Ferengi were intended to be uh, something a little bit more, I think, formidable than they ended up being. You know. Yeah. Well, they yeah. Right off the bat, I mean, we'll get into it, but. They're yeah, not, so, not menacing or scary at all. At all. Not at all. Um, well, th- so the episode starts out with this, like, kind of mysterious uh, thing happening. So the, this Ferengi, the Enterprise is chasing a Ferengi cruiser uh, because they've taken a, um, a T, what is it, a T9 device? Do you remember the specifics there, Golda Scott? No. <laughs> no, I just, you know, that's the MacGuffin. It's the MacGuffin. They stole a MacGuffin. They stole a okay. MacGuffin. Yeah, as you know, I, I went to film and television school in uh, University of Cardassia. And, <laughs> uh, a MacGuffin is is what we call a plot device that you just it fill in the blank. Some technical gobbledygook. It doesn't really matter. It's just the thing that the heroes and the villains are both chasing after. I love it. So exactly. The MacGuffin is this T9 energy device. The Ferengi think it belongs to them and the Federation... No, it does not belong to them. So the Enterprise ordered to pursue, um, and it's it's supposed to be. Remember that this is kind of like uncharted territory in, in our in our galaxy's quadrant. So the galaxy is you know divided into quadrants in Star Trek, and so there's the Alpha Quadrant, Beta, Delta, Gamma Quadrant, and we're in the Alpha Quadrant, but we're on the outer reaches of the Alpha Quadrant. We're exploring new things. So the Ferengi are supposed to be new to the Federation, new to Starfleet. Um, and so part of the Enterprise's directive is to retrieve this device that the Ferengi seem to have stolen, and the other part of their directive is to uh, learn more about them. It's their first encounter with the Ferengi. Uh, until now, Ferengi have just been uh, stories to the Federation and to Starfleet. So um, they're in pursuit of this ship, and they feel that they their understanding is that the Ferengi technology is on par with their own, but then they're surprised to, to discover that something 
uh, is happening to their ship and to their shields. And so now they're starting to think, oh, maybe Ferengi technology is superior to Federation technology. Well, they don't. They make a point of saying when you say it's on par. They they make a point of saying the technology is is equal, but also entirely different. You know, right. as if it had like evolved differently somehow. Um, so I think they make a point of seeing neither neither of them have superior technology or inferior to each other, but uh, they're just different and they don't understand how it works. Right. That's the understanding up to that point, but then. All of a sudden, the Enterprise starts to lose power and um, can't really. It's it, it's kind of trapped in proximity to the Ferengi vessel, and so now Captain Picard and the crew start to think maybe the Ferengi actually have uh, superior technology, and they're somehow draining energy from the Enterprise. Well, it turns out that the Ferengi are thinking the same thing because the Ferengi ship is facing the same problems. And we learned this in a really fun uh, fun scene where, so, so Cap while they're trying to figure out what's going on, Captain Picard and the crew are debating all these things. They're thinking, oh, let's fire, let's like fire all, you know, Tasha and Worf are all about like, let's shoot the Ferengi ship with everything we've got and, and, uh, and let's- That was my boat. I, you know, I wanted them to just, Blast the hell! I mean, you know, I was getting ready for like our first real ship-to-ship -ship space battle in this series, and you know, this scene kind of leads you to believe that's that's what you're going to get finally, and it kind of disappoints. Yeah, well, it disappoints for a plot, a pretty good plot device though, because you're like, why haven't the Ferengi just fired on the Enterprise? You know, like there's some mystery going on. Uh, another thing that they try to do, and this is the first time we see Jordy kind of playing around in engineering. He's still a bridge crew member, but he goes down and uh, they concoct this plan to... I, so I don't understand the car analogy. I'm really sorry. Maybe you did, Goldie Scott, but they want to go from, like, you know, downshift to upshift in millisecond. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I don't understand any of this shit at all. <laughs> I totally zoned out. Um, the, the, like, my notes from this scene are like, wait a minute, is Jordy now, you know, did he replace Chief McDougal off screen? Did I miss a scene? You know, is this where he becomes engineering chief? And so, you know, I did a little research and it turns out that this was just some random scene they shot for whatever reason they put Jordy down there. And they liked the visual of it. And that was why they decided to make him chief engineer. Uh, beginning with season two. Interesting. And like Riker, so anyways, they decide they're going to do this thing where they're going to like try to rev the en engines of the Enterprise up to full. Here, I'm going to do the the thing. The power of the Enterprise, again, is is being shown off here. Jordy um, <laughs> also has a very weird moment where he's kind of, he, he goes like, wooey, like a little kid. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but like, that's a whole weird, that is a weird scene. That was a very <laughs> weird acting choice on his part. I have no idea it's what Wooey! Maybe that should be our new thing whenever, uh, whenever. Like maybe it was supposed to be Wesley's scene and he couldn't film that day, so they just had Jordy do his lines. Yeah, it's it's funny how they're still figuring out engineering, and we're watching it happen, which is which is interesting now now that we see it in hindsight. But um, but anyways, uh, <laughs> the the plan is to like give it all she's got 
and escape the Ferengi, what they think is a Ferengi tractor beam or field or energy sucking field. They think it's the Ferengi that are doing this to them. And of course, uh, unbeknownst to them, to the Starfleet crew and the, and as well as the audiences that the Ferengi are actually experiencing the same symptoms. Anyways, all of these things are unsuccessful. By the way, in that scene, uh, Commander Riker says, Give, give me everything she's got, which is a nice little nod to the original series as to how Captain Kirk would always request that from Scotty. Yes, and it, I guess, is this the first time we learn that the new Enterprise is also female? Oh, yeah. I think all ships in the line are female. I've never heard anyone refer to a ship as a... Oh, okay. I'm not really into ship stuff. So. Yeah, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, all the ships are... All the ships are uh, referred to in a rule. Can you? Could you have a ship that was? I mean, uh, if I were the captain of a ship, it would definitely be a male ship. All right. I like the way you think, Starfleet boy. <laughs> so uh, breaking that rule. But anyways, they they're out of options. The captain uh, orders a meeting, a conference, which is interesting. Oh, let's wait for the sirens. You know, big Sam. Starfleet headquarters, always something going on. That was uh, that was probably Khan blowing up some building or something. Again like that. with Khan. <laughs> yeah. You just can't get rid of that guy. What is it? The super blood just keeps bringing him back to life. <laughs> keeps bringing him back. <laughs> super uh, death healing life uh, force blood there. I'm uh, drinking the blood of Khan. <laughs> oh, that's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> Starfleet's patching the urine of Spock. Oh my gosh! Okay, this episode now deserves it. Just taking a left turn. But um, so they're out of options. So Captain Picard calls a conference, and uh, no one really, you know, everyone. Look, uh, no one has any other options uh, except fire all the torpedoes and Captain Picard's like, oh, that's not like an option we want to consider. It's the one that will lead to total annihilation. Uh, he's, he, you know, he's so defeated. Like, I don't, I don't get this part. Okay. Just three episodes ago, he, you got Q who is this all powerful God and Picard goes right to his face and is like, get off of my bridge. You know, he, he's totally just all confidence and bluster and here he's just like admitting defeat before the battle's even begun. I don't get this. This is this makes no sense to me. I think it's a different situation because at least with the Q, both times you're faced with overwhelming odds, right? You know, it's like you encounter being like the Q and it's like, well, what are we able to do in this situation? But there's a dialogue between the Q and Picard. So he kind of can he's he know he realizes, well, this being is interested in talking to me. Maybe I can stretch this out a little longer. Whereas up till this point, the Ferengi have not yet communicated with them. These are all assumptions. We're all we're all assuming that the Ferengi are are doing all these things to the Enterprise. Um, and so Captain Picard realizes that maybe it's time to uh, just go ahead and like you know. And again, this is where. Uh, you know, Troy kind of steps in with her advice. She says, maybe we're not giving the Ferengi, the reason the Ferengi have not reached out to speak to us is because maybe we're not giving them anything they want to hear. So when the, when the captain goes back to the bridge, when the crew goes back to the bridge, um, 
he then basically in a very tepid way or like uh, announces that they're prepared to surrender. This very, very, very shocking to me. Very shocking. Always shocking when the captain of the Enterprise orders a surrender. It's like, it's practically like giving away the keys to Earth. You know, it's like the flagship of Starfleet, right? How often do you think it happens? I, I would say maybe like once every other season. Like it's, very, it's very rare, right? A, yeah, it's not, an, it's not often, and it's usually used as a tactic. Like, Captain Kirk especially would would surrender to just, like, gain the advantage. It, 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 I've never actually seen in Star Trek where a surrender didn't result in the benefit of the, <laughs> of the crew in some way. You know what I mean? Like, it's never... I've never seen it where, like, well, they actually got taken prisoner... You know, in, in Star Trek Six, it gets close to that. The captain and Doctor McCoy do get taken prisoner, but regardless, yeah, surrender. Make it out of that. What's that? Sure. I didn't think they were going to make it out of it that time. Yeah, that's true. It's, it was a tough situation, yeah. but surrenders are very rare. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, it'd be pretty pretty bad message if, although it's not all, it, although you know it's not good to fight either. It, it'd be a pretty bad message to send home that if you surrendered at every <laughs> at everything that came along it, would be it like, probably doesn't look good on your resume it wouldn't look good on your resume okay, so at this point we're we're four episodes in you know and so he's surrendered in one so he's got a 25 percent surrender ratio no it's 50 submission ratio 25 percent because captain picard surrenders to the queue oh of course of course how could i forget you're right and he also surrendered in that one <laughs> yeah in fact captain picard surrenders in the very first episode of his uh his uh career yeah that's pretty fucking lame man no i think it's great i told you he's a diplomatic pre uh, diplomatic uh captain i almost said president I've been watching House of Cards also, and <laughs> oh, that's so good. Another discussion. Anyways, um, they so he suggests a surrender, and the Ferengi respond immediately, and then the crew experiences a slight revelation and advantage because the Ferengi misunderstood his statement to mean that he's asking for their surrender. So this is where being vague is an advantage. <laughs> is an advantage. <laughs> also, you know, this is the first time these two species are communicating with each other. You can also chalk it up to just language barrier issues or who knows what. Who knows what, but either way, the Ferengi think that they're the ones that are supposed to surrender. So Captain Picard immediately gets excited and everyone's like, what's going on? What? Why would they surrender? Oh, crap. They're experiencing the same thing. By the way, this is the first episode of Star Trek anything outside oh no. yeah because this predates star trek 4 if i'm not mistaken where a swear word is said on star trek well well okay just to correct you really quick this this was i believe a year after star trek 4 had come out oh uh, well okay um, but, but what is the swear word okay so then star trek 4 was the swear word swear word but in tv it was uh captain picard says merd which is uh, shit in French. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he says it in French. 
Uh, and actually, there's a lot of the censors, didn't they? This was a pretty uh, risque yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, they like pushed some boundaries here. Like, and uh, whoever knew French was like, <gasps> "Oh la la!" Uh, <laughs> there's quite a few moments where Captain Picard shows his French pride, as actually because um, at one point they're discussing flags. Oh, so let's backtrack a little. The crew is trying to. Uh, Data is giving a briefing on what the Ferengi are like while they're chasing them, and he compares them to Yankee traders uh, from America and, you know, mercantile ship people, pirates, I guess, basically, right? Yes, they um, believe in extreme, like an extreme form of capitalism. Yeah, like, like just, really yeah, which one might argue that the United States has never, <laughs> has never departed from. <laughs> Uh-oh, are we going to get into a, an intense political discussion now? No, there doesn't have to be an intense... I think we, we, uh, we Donald Drumpfed. All right, remember, this isn't no spin zone. <laughs> but Yankee traders, that's who the Frangier are compared to, just kind of like um, no regard for humanity, just like pure commerce-driven, um, <clears throat> money, you know, wealth-driven society. That's what the Frangier are known as. Yeah, it was very difficult watching this. You know, I, I, as I've told you many times, Deep Space Nine is my favorite of the Star Trek shows. And so it's hard watching this not bringing in all my, you know, past knowledge of the Ferengi and, and the entire culture and everything we learned from that show. Um, so uh, it, it's hard to separate, you know, what I saw specifically in this episode of them versus what I already knew. Oh, I think you should definitely bring it up if you, if you have anything um, that, that you want to share because I do think the Frangie do evolve into characters that we, I think I really like the Deep Space Nine depiction of the Frangie. They're so much more nuanced and like there's so much more, I think, depth to them. Here they're just kind of a stereotype as is the case with, you know, all, again, it's a little better to deal with the stereotype because you know, they're not, there's not a comparison that you can make to humans because um, they're so different looking and, like, so different acting from us, right? And and there is, like, mainly any parallels could be made to, he, like, human behavior that we've all, as a society, decided, oh, yeah, that's not, like, what humans... <laughs> that's not what humans are about, right? So, so I think it's easier to, like, see the Ferengi as a... Uh, as a stereotype than it was in our previous discussion. But, but I do like that. I do have to say that like, you know, I think that the introduction of the Ferengi is overall a failure because they're not, as you said, they're not formidable as, as um, opponents to Starfleet. They're goofy looking in my opinion, which is okay. For laughs, you know, they're not, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's very strange, and and you know, we'll get to the next part of the plot in which they introduce this this third party, who's this godlike being uh, that they have to sort of team up against. But um, so, anyways, the the crew does realize now, all of a sudden, that there's something more going on. And once again, Counselor Troy kind of points everyone in the right direction when she says, "Well, we've been." hundred percent focused on the Ferengi, but no one stopped for a minute to look at the planet that we're orbiting. And maybe if there's something going on there, she senses something, maybe a consciousness. Right. 
And, and I feel like this is where, where the plot loses me, and this is where the problem for me with the story really begins, because this was, like you said, it's supposed to be the introduction of this fearsome new, new enemy. Um, and instead of focusing on them, they, they actually make the episode about this other thing. And, you know, and it sort of forces them to kind of, you know, team up for a little while. And then after that, they, they sort of have a verbal argument about a couple things. But um, I feel like you should have made it just a straight story about the two of them facing off for the first time, learning about each other more directly, and maybe actually having a space battle. You with the space battle. You want to ask for one goddamn space battle. It, they're coming. They're coming, I promise. They're not going to be that great this season, but, but space battles will come. Um, they aren't... The thing is, is, I kind of disagree because I think that, like, part of Starfleet's whole thing, Star Trek, Star Trek, the show's whole thing is, like, exploration and discovery. And you do discover something really cool about this planet. So, but before we get to that, um, you know, at this point, they still think it's the Ferengi. They realize it's not. They think, oh, maybe something's going on in the planet. Um, so then Captain Picard, uh, in a twist, decides, well, okay, fine, Ferengi. We will, you know, he wants to play it, play this out, and he's like, okay, we'll accept your surrender, but only if we see what you look like, because no one's ever seen a Ferengi before, right? Yeah, and he's interested in scoring some intelligence on them and, yeah. you know, probably being able to go back to his bosses at Starfleet and say, hey, guys, look what I got. What I got. So we get um, Damon Tarr. We get to see Damon Tarr, very first Ferengi. And I can't tell, but I think it's Armin Shimmerman, right? Well, he's... Um, no, he's on the planet. Letak. Attack. Okay, so Damon Tar is played by a child actor because that's what it looks like. He he doesn't look very he doesn't look very um, old. Maybe it's just something about the Frankie. They look like children, but um, but he his face is pretty much the only thing we see, and it kind of like is cropped, and it's like human. You are. This is kind of like how it it's presented. It's like you human, and any any like. Yeah, that was kind of an awkward-looking effect, uh, at least the way I viewed it, uh, with the high definition. Just, you know, with Picard in front of it, you could definitely see, like, the cut kind of area. Yeah, he's, like, staring down at Picard like this, and he's, like... And he's also... uh, He also insults humans. He's, like, oh, you are as ugly as people have said you are. You know, or something like that. (laughs) So, Ferengi actually are very funny-looking... I don't have a picture to to show you guys, but they have like basically these gi- gigantic ears, right? Oh, I have a picture. Oh, I love that you have this. Hold on, say something so it goes to you. Humans. <laughs> That's you this- humans are uglier than. Uh, what did he say? No, humans are as ugly as they said. I, know, I, don't I, don't know know. Is. I don't know who's talking shit about us out there they're, in front. They're major. He and then he does it again. Later on, when they communicate a second time, he says, "Once again, you horrify us with your, <laughs> with your ugliness." Oh yeah, well they're they're also upset over the fact that we clothe our women. Yep, yep. There's a lot. Of, so there's a lot of differences to them. They can barely, you know, look at them. Look at clothed women. It's very disgusting. Yeah, they think it's like objectifying to clothe a woman rather than yeah. yeah so, very interesting culture. 
Although I don't know what a fringy female looks like, or I, I guess there's got to be an instance of one on Deep Space Nine. Oh, absolutely. Think. You meet several of them in Deep Space Nine. You meet, you know, Quark's mother and, and several other characters. Oh, it's all coming back to me now. They basically look like Ferengi males. But with- yeah, in fact, there's an entire episode where Quark's mother uh, decides she's going to start wearing clothes as, <laughs> you know, kind of like a women's lib kind of movement oh, that's going that. on in Ferengadar. And, of course, Quark is horrified about, you know, he doesn't want people to find out. It's going to ruin his status and and all these things. Um, (laughs) So I would encourage anybody to track down that episode of Deep Space Nine. I can't remember which one. I bet you there's a way to watch all the Ferengi episodes in order from this to to all the way to Voyager or whatever. Beyond. (laughs) Well, I mean, it would be hard to determine what's a Ferengi episode because Quark is in so many of the episodes. Well, in DS9, then you could just focus on the ones that that do you. You should watch the whole series, you know. (laughs) I would would recommend if you're getting into Star Trek, you know, watch the Ferengi episodes of each series and all of Deep Space Nine, and uh, you're good. I agree. Um, But going back to this episode... um, Damon Tarr and Picard come to an agreement that, you know, both of them realize, oh, okay, so, uh, you know, the Ferengi realize, oh, Federation, you're not doing this to us, and then the Federation, you know, it's like, okay, fine, whatever's happening, whatever's draining the power from our ships, it's it's on the planet, so they both agree to send science teams down, um, and the Ferengi send three members of their science team down, and then uh, the Enterprise sends down Five people, I think. <laughs> uh, like, let me see. They sound down Riker, Data, Worf, Worf, Tasha. Is that it? Is it four? And Data. And Data. That Riker, Data, uh, Worf, and, and Tasha. Tasha is four. Yep. Who's the fifth? No, that's it. Jordy. Oh, and Jordy. Jordy goes down too. Okay, Jordy. Yep. So five members of the crew of the Enterprise go down. Um, anyways, they get to the planet, and it's like, they, when they beam down, immediately they're kind of all separated because there's this, like, electromagnetic interference, and the crew is now all over the place. So Riker beams down in one place, Data's on top of a crystal. Oh, there's these crystals everywhere. And there's kind of like, so let's talk about this. There's this one point where Riker goes out onto this cliff and looks at this landscape. Watching it now as an adult, it's it's not the best... <laughs> I, you know, this whole set, especially when the giant head appears, um, it very much uh, made me think of Star Trek V. Mm-hmm. And that was, it would have been in production right around the same time, because this is late 87, that came out summer of 89. So I really wonder if this was the exact same set as, as Star Trek V, because it looks it, like it. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, like, um, I, I would not put that past the production uh, to to use the sets like that, um, and then there's like I don't know if this is part of the remastered thing, but I thought the sky looked pretty good, but that was about it. <laughs> that was yeah, it's a, again like like the last episode as well when they went on to uh, to Ligon too, uh, just very um, original series type of sets that kind of looked outdated even in the 80s, I think. The 80s maybe, yeah, it's true. Um, anyways, they uh, they realize that the planet is this like kind of energy conduit and it's just like able to 
harness energy and that's what's kind of sucking sucking power from the enterprise and the uh and the um the Ferengi vessel then then they encounter the Ferengi and there's this whole part where the Ferengi basically knock them out cold with their really kind of interesting whip whip blasters pool, they had pool noodles <laughs> you know what pool noodles are yeah, that's right. who, you know, grew up around swimming pools. Those those foam noodle things that you swim w- with and play with in the pool. Uh, that's what these were. They were electrified pool noodles. That's why I wrote on my my notepad here. I, <laughs> that's what they look like. So they they knock out the crew of the Enterprise, and then we cut to six hours later. So we find out that the we find out that the away team has been gone for six hours and on the enterprise power is basically at a minimum and um everyone's starting to freeze and uh captain picard and dr crusher have this moment where they talk about wesley he's like you know all these people are like basically getting the crew of the enterprise is basically getting it's kind of grim but they're getting ready to die yeah and we and we don't see wesley do do we see wesley for like five seconds in this episode we don't actually see wesley at all if i'm not mistaken in this episode but but he's there'll be no wesley sweater talk segment guys so if you're (laughs) for our wesley sweater segment um you can go ahead and skip the rest of this episode unfortunately (laughs) he's mentioned and the way he's mentioned is you know picard asks well where's where's wesley and she says oh he's in our court dr crusher says he's in our quarters and I almost, I considered giving him a sedative, but I decided not to. And Picard says something like, good. The right to face death awake. <laughs> Dr. Uh, yeah, yeah, like to face death how he wants to or something like that. Yeah, like, something like that. Again, just Picard being so defeatist and um, <laughs> it just bothers me. Like, I, I feel like he should be looking for a solution until the very last second. And again, this goes back to an earlier talk we had about how reliable the ship's computer is. Um, th- there are no backup systems in place. There's no way to well, get the... Well, Scott, Gold Scott, this is a full drain of the... the it's not, it has nothing to do with the computer. It's the energy. Like the actual... Like imagine if your car's battery would just keep draining no matter what you did. But I thought they'd create their own energy with all the, the glowing stuff down in engineering. What's that for? Then? So, so the, the, <laughs> the ship's engine is kind of basically a fusion, a kind of fusion engine, but it's called a, it's a matter antimatter engine, right? So what happens is the way that um, energy or power is created to power the ship is that you have a reaction that occurs when when matter and antimatter collide? They cancel each other it's out. Three o'clock. And they oh, it's three o'clock. My ship's oh. computer is telling me. Fleet HQ. So they they cancel each other out, and then they um, create an explosion or whatever, and this creates the source of the energy. And it's a, it's so a, that's, that is the glowy stuff. <clears throat> that's the glowy the blue, stuff. Blue but glowy stuff that's behind the guardrails. That's what that is. What's happening to the Enterprise is that no matter how much energy they create, the planet sucks it completely away. Like, it just takes it. There's no way to create energy now, right? So the ship's getting colder, and that's kind of cool. I mean, like, I get his attitude. He's like, well, this is this is what we all signed up for. Um, we're all going to, you know, it's this is the kind of thing. It's like the ship loses its power. 
what's going to happen? It's going to freeze. Everyone's going to die. It does get pretty scary there for a little bit. Oh, I have to mention before we go further, um, we do know about the planet. So once they realize and they focus their attention on the planet. Oh yeah, data data talks about it. And and it's an outpost. That's why the, the episode is called The Last Outpost, because this planet was the last outpost of an ancient um, race that I think they call the Trillians, which no. makes me wonder <laughs> the, the Takan. It's the Takan Empire. No, 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 it's the Takan it's the Takan Empire. Right. <laughs> Hold on. There's something to do with trillions. Oh, good. Oh, because there's trillions of, of people in the Empire one. No, no, not trillion. Like a race of people called the no. trillions. No, I promise. It was the right. there were trillion people. Con Empire. All right. Well, I'll take your word for it. I wrote this in my notes. It's the Takan Empire once comprised of trillions of mem- people and was extinct. <laughs> oh for- my God! I totally read that wrong. Yeah, and it's extinct for 600,000 yeah, years. Because I was thinking deep, the Trill from Deep Space Nine. Well, I saw where you were going, and that would have been awesome. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not <Wow>. this time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, that's, what I'm I get not, for, that's what I get for watching Star Trek drunk. Well, hey, there's we're yeah. adults. We're adults. We can do this. Um, so, <laughs> so Data's giving a briefing about the Takan Empire, and I like the little graphic in the scene, by the way, that was kind of cool, showing the uh, the map, although it doesn't look as impressive as it sounds. Um, and he, so in that scene, uh, ironically, just before the briefing, uh, Riker has to shoo away two children that are playing in the conference room, and I'm thinking, how do children just get into the conference room with no problem with, it's like, is the Enterprise, is this Enterprise set up in such a way that, like, anyone can have access to any part of the ship that they want? like? You know what? I, I love Wesley, and I'm glad Wesley's there, but the whole idea of having children on this, this ship is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, do you agree? I, I remember hating that even from the start, uh, just thinking it was inappropriate, knowing that they were going to get into crazy adventures and dangerous shit. And um, I don't know. It just seems weird to me and wrong. It- it's inappropriate, but it's also fascinating because, like, the thing, the thing is, is it's like, I think the Enterprise is designed to be kind of like this long-term generational ship. It's like the impression you get is that, like, maybe some of these people are future are colonists. They're gonna drop people off as they go along their journey. They'll just drop them off on planets to colonize planets if they can, you know. So I don't know. It's a little confusing, but it is weird to have children having access you would think that like especially now that we we can so easily give access in our current time like you know you can have like fob keys that only allow you to have access it's like how would a kid get access to the you know what the only thing that makes sense is that somebody let those kids in there just to fuck with picard (laughs) that's actually (laughs) That's the only thing that makes sense. Who is it? And that's exactly what you would do. If you're, you know, because Picard, we've seen season one, especially these early episodes, he is a real stick up his ass. He's a jerk. Can you imagine working for that guy? You know, somebody, if you were out to get him and to play a little prank on this jerk, what better way to do it than to just let a bunch of kids roam around his office and have him go in there and find it? That's a really good point. I never thought of that, but I have to say that I might, I might agree with that. Um, anyways, 
the Takan <laughs> Empire is long extinct, so Data's like, well, this is one of the outlying planets, the one of the outposts in the Empire. And apparently this device on the planet, or this mechanism, uh, the Takan Empire were so powerful that they, they were believed to be able to move stars, like to take a sun and actually move it. So they probably engineered this planet is the, is the implication here. And the planet itself seems to have some ability to um, extract the power from the Enterprise. So they beam down to the planet. They go through everything we had just talked about. They get stunned. Six hours later, the ship is in dire straits. And um, we go back to the planet to see what's going on. The Riker and everyone come to. And now we get our first real sort of like um, dialogue between the Star Starfleet characters and the Ferengi. And we start learning about things things about the Ferengi culture. Um, so face-to-face meeting face here. Face-to-face, yeah. And now this is where Armin Shimmerman definitely comes in and is that his uh his his brother from no it is not it is not nog i don't believe for nog from space nine who is his brother but i believe nog does show up in a later next generation episode as a ferengi um and of course you know he uh armin shimmerman didn't just play uh quark he's also well known as principal snyder um, from the first three seasons of Buffy, which mm. we'll talk about at length on our on our Buffy cast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's just a great actor. I really like him. But his his quote about himself from this episode is that it's terrible acting, <laughs> and he can't watch himself and uh, doesn't think it's very good. But uh, is glad that it was enough for him to be called back to do the role again in the future. Yeah, I agree because Quark is just. A gem of a character. I mean, Armin Sherman, Sherman really one of the best through. parts of that show. What's that? One of the best parts of that show. Yeah, but also Armin Shimmerman, I think, gets to really show off his um, abilities in, as an actor as Quark. You know, not as this character though. Um, <clears throat> anyways, the three Ferengi science officers are constant. They're in pain and agony. First of all, because the lightning storms that are occurring on this planet seem to really um, mess with them. Um, and then they just come across as like the, like the classic little green man, alien, you know, they're little, they're like, yeah, they're like, and then they like, when they fight them, they like grab them and trying to bite Riker's neck. Yeah. They're trying to bite them. And there's a scene where like, you know, uh, the one that I thought was Nog, I forgot what his name was. Um, oh, Modak, right? Modak was like doing like J- Mick Jagger moves, like while he's talking. He's like, you, human, are not. <laughs> it's all like, you know, they've got the moves like Jagger. It's like, a, it's a, a very yeah. strange. I feel like the way the way to show them as fearsome, again, not to not to bring it back to space battles again, but. In Star Trek, if this is what these guys were going to be like, the way to show them as fearsome is to show off their their firepower and that they can really, you know, maybe blast the shit out of the Enterprise. That's how you make them scary, but not like this. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know what to say. It's like, you know, the Ferengi were pretty funny. I remember as a kid thinking they were just hilarious. I didn't think they were scary at all. I thought, you know... They're just a really weird, funny 
kind of <laughs> kind of group of uh, group of aliens. Um, well, they start getting into, they they get into this fight, and then Tasha comes. She's been missing this whole time, and then she comes out of nowhere with her phaser, and now all of a sudden the Ferengi are um, they're threatened, and they let you know they kind of like back off. And um, when she tries to stun one of them, the phaser ray or energy is diverted and gets sucked up by one of the crystals. And then this happens also with the Ferengi weapon. And then now the coolest part, I think the coolest part of the episode for me comes up, which is when the... um, The Wizard of Oz head? (laughs) The Wizard of Oz, we'll just call him that. But the Sentinel, I think he's called Portal 63 is Portal um, 63. 63 or 63 or whatever. Yeah, I like this part too. Yeah, he kind of appears and he's like this big talking head and he, you know, and he he's like he's like state yourself, you know, who are you? Are you a barbarian? Speak. So Riker and, you know, in his very poised Starfleet way kind of introduces himself and then the Ferengi, you know, try to introduce themselves, and then um, this Takan portal takes the form of a bipedal being, and he's kind of, like, impressed by that. He's like, oh, I'm bipedal. Like, you know, this is, like, something fascinating to him as well. So you get the idea, the impression that the planet itself is some kind of super sentient device or machine. It's a guard like, post, basically. It's yeah, guard. It's the entrance. Yeah. It was the entrance to the, the Empire, mm-hmm. and that's why it stopped the ship, because it was designed to basically put a stop to anyone entering that area and check them out and see if they're okay to let through. Right, exactly. And um, even though the Takan Empire is now vanished. So that's a nice little scene where um, Data kind of catches up the portal and says, hey, we're actually in the age of blah, 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 you think we're in the age of Mokto or whatever, you know, or, or whatever. Like, there's these cool, like, this cool dialogue. And so this thing, this sentinel, this um, this planet has been asleep for a very long time. So no one, apparently no one's passed by its territory in a long time. thousand years, right? 600,000 years is what they said? Yeah, or maybe maybe even longer. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the planet has been at least asleep that long, you're right. But, um... Anyways, it offers them a challenge, and particularly Riker takes on the challenge. And you know, um, you know, basically, basically uh, he says, you know, prepare yourself, Riker, and then he charges at him with these cool ninja moves and stops short of just slicing his shoulder. And yeah. uh, <laughs> you didn't like that. What's uh, going? Share your thoughts, Goldie. Okay. Guy. All right. Again, this goes back to earlier episodes where we were talking about how, and and again, this was word on the street, was Commander Riker is the new action star of this show. He's replacing Kirk because Picard is too old to, to fight or whatever. And, you know, we haven't really seen Riker do much fighting. We've seen Tasha Yar be, be the action star so far. And again, in this episode, you know, the the Ferengi pretty much, you know, kick the crap out of Riker. He doesn't really win that fight. That fight just gets stopped by Tasha. Again, Tasha saving the day. Um, And now, you know, Riker is challenged by this axe-wielding guy who wants to, like, kung fu fight with him. And his response is to just stand there and not move and then quote Sun Tzu. (laughs) I mean, this is 
this is our fucking action star of the show, Commander Riker. I just, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah! <laughs> it's hard to watch The Next Generation after you've, you've watched the original series and, 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 like, you know, see them. None of them are really action stars. You know, they're all very cerebral, I think. Um, there are cool action moments that Riker will have later, but for now it's just, I don't think that's the point of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think they were trying to depart from the um, kind of every episode there's a fight or a space battle. Yeah, well, no, I, I get you there. I guess, you know, re-watching these with you, I have been kind of channeling my inner nine-year-old once again. <laughs> and uh, I remember that being my disappointment with it then as well. Just uh, And it's kind of why, you know, I didn't stick with Star Trek throughout my childhood. I, I remember watching through maybe season two and then kind of drifting away and coming back to it many years later. Uh, because as a kid, I think I really wanted that that action stuff. Yeah, who doesn't? I mean, that's totally true. I do remember as a kid being like really impressed by the portal more than anything else in the episode. I thought the technology, what I started thinking about was like, what kind of technology, you know, and could do that, you know, could create like a being, what kind of technology would be sentient and have like interaction, you know, it's like something that we still don't have today, like, you know, with Watson or any of these like artificial intelligence you know, applications, they're not, they're not very good. Like I can, just as an aside, I get phone calls from AI operators now. This is a new thing. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like instead of a, instead no, of a, I, nobody calls me. Oh, so an AI operator now calls and they'll be like, hi, how's your day going? Unrealistic pause. Uh, it's fine. How are you? Good. Let me tell you about blah, 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 blah. And it, there's like no, like, Humans don't like humans don't react this way. I hang up on all of them, but I I always know when it's an AI or a human. And the human I'm kinder to. I try to be kind to everyone, but I end up having no patience for these machines. But <laughs> yeah, but, I say don't answer your phone, and if it's important, people will leave you a message. <laughs> That's true. Um, but the Takan uh, portal is a very advanced kind of machine in fact the whole planet it's it's implied that the whole planet is created by the Takan empire and so Riker passes the test because he remains calm in the face of death and composed in the face of death and then the immediately the portal goes from this like you know apprehensive uh, you know antagonistic uh, attitude to this like very welcoming attitude and he dismisses the Ferengi as, like, backwards and kind of just decides, like, they're not important. And it's Riker, in fact, who... Well, so the, so the portal gives the Enterprise back its power, and then it's Riker, in fact, who uh, saves the Ferengi <laughs> because the Tagan uh, portal was ready to just destroy it. Like, had no, you know, had no problem with just destroying the Ferengi ship. He was like, shall I destroy them, Riker? <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Things yeah, like, like, what do you think? Like, Riker's like, I just quoted Sun Tzu, asshole. Right. You know, what do you think? Am I really going to tell you to kill these people? <laughs> Haven't I shown you I'm, like, a super chill dude? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, very cool. This was what I would call a hard science fiction episode um, because there's a lot of, like, really far-out concepts. And like you said, there's no space battles. It's a very heavy science fiction-laden kind of episode. Yeah, for me, the 
I liked it. I actually think it's the best episode we've seen so far of the first four. Um, or, you know, I don't know what it, what I would say about it that made it more watchable for me than the others. Um, but I guess the biggest problem is it just feels like two episodes that should have been separate. You know, you've got the cool planet thing going on. That could have been a whole episode. And then you've got the Ferengi and they should have had their own, own episode as, you know, if they were really intended to be this major villain. Um, right. And it makes me wonder if that was in fact the intention because, um, because of how they dealt with it. But I, I do agree with you. It is, it is probably the coolest episode so far, especially to me, what, what really stuck out was like some of these ideas of this ancient empire of trillions of civil, you know, trillions of people and like the trillions, the what the Takan trillions, the trillion, the trillion empire. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that kind of those kinds of things kind of like really struck a chord with my imagination and uh, as a child and even now as an adult um you know and it makes me kind of wish that we weren't so alone in the universe you know we didn't feel so alone in the universe like you know come on uh, space aliens out there we're ready for you right like come on just like make us a part of your united federation of planets like <laughs> Yeah, we, you know, if any space aliens are watching this, um, you, along with Will Wheaton, are, are always invited to be on our show. <laughs> we haven't put out our weekly call to Will. That's um, right. Well, he was, this was a Will Wheaton light episode, so. That's probably why we, we didn't hear from him to come <laughs> on for this. This was a Wesley light, Wesley light episode. Yeah. But um, the other great thing about this episode was we did get to see a lot, again, what I think where the next generation really excels is that you do see a lot of things going on on the ship and like ships kind of the functions of the ship and like, you know, how a ship is run, etc. And I really like that, that a lot. Agreed. I concur. Very good. So, um, let's see. Um, <laughs> I think that the the moral of this episode was that, you know, fear, to quote Riker, is the true enemy, the only, the only enemy. The only enemy. And it's like a good lesson, I think, for any person watching is that, like, your fear is truly your only enemy. And, the one and also it goes back to your very, the thing you were talking about in the last episode about humanism and, and all that hippie stuff. <laughs> uh, that, that I didn't understand but uh, you know it feels like that you know they meet these new guys these Ferengi they're kind of jerks they're they're shooting stuff at them and stealing stuff from them but here they are they're like come on guys can't we just be friends like let's just be friends let's just you know just in fact the, the Takan portal does point out that initially he was ready to just dismiss both the Federation and, you know, both of these, uh, these being these, uh, these civilizations. But then he saw that they started working together and that intrigued him. And that's the reason he presented himself. So you're right. That's what, that's, that is our saving grace of that episode as well. Um, what did you think of the, um, the overall sort of, you know, is that the direction Star Trek should stay more in? Is this hard science fiction? Or do you think, do you really like the space battles? <laughs> um, I think you can do both really well. I mean, I think to me, that's the great thing about Deep Space Nine is that 
you have this long war going on with the Dominion and you get lots of awesome space battles. And then interspersed throughout all that, you have your crazy episodes about the the wormhole aliens and the celestial temple and the paw rates and all that crazy shit. So I feel like you can do both and they can exist in the in the same world. In in the episode, I think Riker um, is explaining himself to the Takan portal at one point. And he says, um, you know, the Takan portal says, well, what if the Ferengi or I were prepared to destroy you or something like that? And Riker says that part of our civilization, part of the, the beliefs that we have is that we are prepared for total annihilation. You know, and I think that's an important thing to realize is that, like, you know, Starfleet does represent a defensive posture more than anything. But at the same time, they're prepared for, like, well some crazy shit can happen and we could totally be annihilated, you know? And so it's kind of an but that doesn't mean they're not going to defend themselves. And, and right. that was just the, the bummer for me in this episode was that they didn't at least like try a little bit harder, like fire a couple photon torpedoes or something. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next generation does get more space battle for those of you who are looking for space battles. It, it's not going to lack of that. So there's going to be plenty of like action coming up. Uh, plenty of space battles. Gulder Scott. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. Well, this was another uh, exciting discussion. Uh, I don't have anything else to offer to you. I do not. Those are my last thoughts on the last outpost. So uh, what's our next episode, Gulder Scott? Uh, I don't know. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, the next episode is where no one has gone before. Oh, okay. You know that one? I don't know anything about it. I think I have a vague recollection of what this one's about, but I'll, I'm excited to to re-explore it. I just hope Wesley's in it, and I hope he's wearing a sweater that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> Excellent. Well, once again, a great time. I've finished all my wine, so I can't toast to you. Uh, well, cheers to uh, to your empty wine over there. And I'll see you next week. All right. Enjoy the rest of your weekend at uh, Chateau de Picard. <laughs> Thank you.